We'll, uh, we'll wrap this up about uh, probably uh, 4.40, 4.45. I just want to stay here because i got to leave right away. i got to catch a plane at 6. But I just want to thank you all for being here and uh, for tolerating my dribble for the past uh, six hours. It's really been a pleasure to be here. So, uh, now we're at my favorite part. And uh, we're going to read out of 12 and 12. And uh, Step 11 and 12, as it's uh, applied uh, with Bill Wilson, with Father Ed Dowling, uh, because we all know about the simplicity of Step 12. We know that's carrying the message. And, but I was always wanting to know about that power. What step? Step 11 says, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood Him, praying only for the knowledge of His will for us and the power to carry that out. Have any of you wondered in contemplation what God's will is for you? I mean, really. Just think there for a minute, and how many of you know what God's will is for you? I, I have a hunch what I think it is. And this is what I've been living by for 12 years, so if I'm wrong. When I was reading step 11 as it related to, to Father Ed and uh, Bill Wilson, and uh, I really wanted to find out because I want to feel like I have a purpose in my life. And I was really baffled by what's this God's will thing. Because I thought, my God, is it God's will I'm with her? Or is it her? Have you ever been in a job that you couldn't stand and you wonder if it's God's will? What does God read? Those are the Kinko Queens. I mean, you wonder, is this God's will for me? Or so many supermarket type thoughts that I had about what's God's will for me. And it just used to baffle me. Because I really really do want to live God's will, but I was really baffled by it. And one day I was contemplating this meditation about 12 years ago. And it occurred to me what God's will is for me. And it hasn't changed to this day. It's the same. And I'm glad I know it. Where it says we sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God, praying only for the knowledge of His will for us. It's the only prayer I ever got to pray. I mean, if you got other prayers that make you feel good, by all means, use them. But I identified them. That's the only prayer I ever had to pray. Pray for the knowledge of His will for me. And the power to carry that out. And I suggest to you, as I pray for the knowledge of His will for me, once I discover it, I will already have the power to carry it out. And then step 12 gave me the insight. I'm going to get ahead of step 11 a little bit. But step 12 says, having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to alcoholics. Now, does that sound like that might be divinely inspired? I believe God wants me to carry this message. I believe that's His will for me. And to practice these principles in all my affairs. That's an interesting thing. I absolutely believe that's God's will for me. To carry this message to other alcoholics, and I do it as fervently as I can, and as enthusiastically as I can, and I try to practice these principles in all my affairs. What principles? Remember those 12 principles we read? On page 56? Honesty, hope, faith, and courage, integrity and willingness, humility and love, patience, awareness, discipline, and service. Look at that definition for love, number eight. Unselfish concern that freely accepts another in loyalty and seeks his or her good to hold dear, to extend benevolence. In other words, to offer everything that I've got. And forgiveness. That's what it means to love something or somebody. And so his will for me, I believe, is to practice those principles in all my affairs. I can't think of a better will that he would have for me than that. And I don't do it perfectly, but I do it the best I can. And so I do. I try to carry that message. But that's getting ahead of it. But I'll tell you what led me to that. Step 11 and the 12 and 12 has a bunch of good information. In the first paragraph, it says, Prayer and meditation are a principal means of conscious contact with God. I've always been baffled by the idea of prayer and meditation. I thought that meant I had to get in a lotus position, and my knees will not bend that way anymore. I thought I was going to have to do all kinds of ohms and ums and ems. And, I mean, I'm not trying to mock it. I just I didn't want to do that. I don't want to do that. And I've got a short retention span. I don't want to sit for a half hour, hour. or I'm not the type of a person that's going to sit and meditate by the water. That's just not who I am. I needed some kind of a prayer and meditation that would work for a person like me that's on the go. And that's when I was really enthralled by what Bill Wilson did. Father Ed Dowling gave Bill Wilson insights into how to do prayer and meditation because I'm not even as busy as Bill Wilson was, to be sure. That guy was just a bit neurotic. And he was, thank God Bill Wilson was neurotic. 
because many of us wouldn't be here today. If it was only Dr. Bob, I'd have put a gun in my mouth a long time ago. And if it was only Bill Wilson, a lot of Dr. Bob's would have hung themselves in the bathroom. It took that perfect blend of those two alcoholics to meet that we could all get together. But the idea of prayer and meditation for me, a guy that's on the go, and you can threaten me with depression, sadness, loneliness, and despair if I don't sit down an hour a day and pray before candles. And I'm going to tell you what, I'm going to be depressed. Because I'm just not going to do that. I have to find a way that works for me, just as I'm sure you have to find a way that works for you. But I did find a way that works for me. I'll share that with you in a little bit. Uh, over on page 97 of the 12 and 12, uh, about uh, third of the way down the page, it says, of course we finally did experiment with the idea of prayer and meditation, and when unexpected results follows, we felt different. In fact, we knew different. And so we were sold on meditation and prayer, and that we have found can happen to anybody who tries. i got to be a trier. Those of us who have come to make regular use of prayer would no more do without it than we would refuse air, food, or sunshine. And for the same reason, when we refuse air, light, or food, the body suffers. And when we turn away from meditation or prayer, we likewise deprive our minds, our emotions, and our intuitions of vitally needed support. As the body can fail its purpose for lack of nourishment, so can the soul. We need the light of God's reality. We have a soul sickness, right? I have a soul sickness. Remember I started this out by saying when the soul hears the music, it will dance to the tune. You know who the music is? It's you. That's why getting back to your original question, why do we concern ourselves with alcoholism or addiction or overeating? is because my head is so busy, it ain't got time to listen. But you can reach my spirit if you're a kindred spirit. I can hear the music of the soul. I can hear the music of the heart. There's a language of the heart in Alcoholics Anonymous. And any newcomer that walks in this room, if they were in here today, are not going to remember 99% of what I've said today. But if they're an alcoholic of my type, I've got them right here. And so do you. Because the soul hears the music. It'll begin to dance to the tune, which means it'll keep coming back. Doesn't got to know a thing. I tell you what, if AA had a head rack instead of a hat rack, where you can walk in the door and put your newcomer's head up there for about two years, there wouldn't be enough room on the, on the veterans' campus to hold a workshop like this. There'd be so many people in here. Because that's where the problem centers, right squarely in the mind. Because of the spiritual separation that I have, you know, it's taken me away from the power. I have begun to wither and die. Unfortunately, I've got a brain that's intact. And it's got to think about all that stuff. Step 11 is the time when I get to move away from that and find a contrary action to take that will afford me freedom from that. Uh, down on page 98, fourth paragraph, it says, We will want the good that is in all of us. Did you hear that? We will want the good that is in all of us. So if you're sitting in here and you don't think there's any good in you, I believe what this book says. It says, We will want the good that is in all of us, even in the worst of us, to flower and grow. Most certainly we shall need bracing air and abundance of food, but first of all we shall want sunlight. Nothing much can grow in the dark. Meditation is our step out into the sun. How then shall we meditate? Isn't that interesting? Guys, remember, we're all, we're all new at this. There's all kinds of different forms of prayer and meditation, but remember, we're trying to get emotional balance and emotional sobriety. And so this was targeted in mind when Father Ed Dowling and Reverend Sam Shoemaker gave this original idea to Bill Wilson in 1950. <clears throat> the actual experience of meditation and prayer across the centuries is, of course, immense. We could go on yada yada. Page 99, second paragraph. They're going, to, they're going to help us figure out how to do this. Well, we might start like this. First, let's look at a really good prayer. We won't have far to seek. The great men and women of all religions have left us a wonderful supply. You like that open mind that he's got? He's telling us it's okay to read whatever prayers you want, to do whatever you want, just knock yourself out. Now he's going to tell us what he did. He said, here let us consider one that is a classic. Its author was a man who for several hundred years now has been rated a saint. We won't be biased or scared off by that fact because although he was not an alcoholic, he did, like us, go through the emotional ringer. And as he came out the other side of that painful experience, this prayer was his expression of what he could then see, feel, and wish to become, which means he hadn't become it yet. Do you know how many people dismissed the 12 and 12 by saying Bill Wilson was in his worst depression when he wrote it? The saint wasn't in too good a shape when he wrote this prayer. You see, God works through people. He uses our defects of character in His service. So here, St. Francis of Assisi came through this terrible emotional ringer, and he knew that he had to seek his God to help relieve him of that, and this is the prayer he came up with. 
Bill Wilson, in the writing of the 12 and 12, was going through the worst depression of his life. And as he came out the other side of it, we had the 12 and 12. I believe it's the same thing. But here's how he did the. Here's what he used for his prayer and meditation. Lord, make me a channel of thy peace, that where there's hatred, I may bring love. That where there's wrong, I may bring the spirit of forgiveness. That where there's discord, I may bring harmony. That where there's error, I may bring truth. That where there's doubt, I may bring faith. That where there's despair, I may bring hope. That where there are shadows, I may bring light. That where there's sadness, I may bring joy. Lord, grant that I may seek rather to comfort than to be comforted. To understand than to be understood. To love than to be loved. For it is by self-forgiving that one finds. It is by forgiving that one is forgiven. It is by dying that one awakens to eternal life. Amen. As beginners in meditation, we might now reread this passage. He's given us instructions here in case you haven't figured that out. As beginners in meditation, we might now reread this prayer several times very slowly, savoring every word and trying to take in the deep meaning of each phrase and idea. Did you hear that? Does that sound like a new idea? The phrase and idea. We've got 12 new ideas. In case you don't know it, there's 12 sentences in the prayer of St. Francis. Look on page 59 of your outline book, and you'll see I've broken down. There's 12 of them. There's 12 sentences, and then there's three sentences that give you the results of those 12 sentences. Where did I leave off at here? Okay. Over on page 101. 12 and 12, I'm sorry. As we read our prayer and again try to see what its inner essence is, we'll think of now about the man who first uttered the prayer. First of all, he wanted to become a channel. Then he asked for the grace to bring love, forgiveness, harmony, truth, faith, hope, light, and joy to every human being he could. Next came the expression of an aspiration and a hope for himself. He hoped God willing that he might be able to do, might be able to find some of these treasures too. This he would try to do by what he called self-forgetting. What did he mean by self-forgetting and how did he propose to accomplish it? Have you ever wondered how you're supposed to get out of self-centeredness and how to self-forget? He thought it better to give comfort than to receive it. Better to understand than to be understood. Better to forgive than to be forgiven. You got some allergies there, Donna? That's the solution for self-forgetting. So I'm going to run around for the rest of my life seeking to give comfort rather than forget, rather than receive it. Does that sound reasonable? That don't sound like anybody I know. Yeah, right. I'm going to get up and start seeking about how to bring comfort to other people. Yeah, right. Better to understand than to be understood. I spent my whole life trying to get you to understand me. Bless you. Have you... I'm trying to understand you right now. Better to forgive than to be forgiven. Okay, go down to the bottom of the page. Its object is always the same, this prayer. To improve our conscious contact with God, with His grace, wisdom, and love. So that's, that's the object of that prayer, to improve our conscious contact with God. So, in step 11 it says we sought to improve our conscious contact with God, didn't it? So how are we going to do that? We're going to seek to give comfort rather than to receive it. It's better to understand than to be understood, and better to forgive than to be forgiven. So, let's go over to page 104. My favorite paragraph, 2. It says, we also fall into another similar temptation. We form ideas as to what we think God's will is for other people. That's my favorite. Haven't you ever looked at somebody and thought you could help them run their life better than they can? Haven't you ever seen somebody doing something and say, boy, that's obviously not God's will? We say to ourselves, this one ought to be cured of this fatal malady. i got to tell you the truth. As I look at Mike over here, I've thought that a hundred times over. Mike's got Lou Gehrig's disease and he's got about a year to live and I've been Mike's sponsor for a long time. I wish he could be cured of this fatal malady. I told him if he wanted to impress people today to walk when I touch him. <laughs> but you know what? That's not going to happen. That's just the way it is. And Mike has accepted that. And uh, I'll tell you, if you think you're having a bad day and you can't get up and go to work, Mike drove up here from San Diego just to be at this workshop today. And I know it isn't so you can hear the workshop. He's heard me do this too many times. Mike came up here because he loves me. You know, some people make fun of these guys. They, 
they say that I'm their guru, their cult leader, that they're followers. I resent that. I resent it. I don't like my friends being minimized like that. See, it ain't about that at all. They're not followers. This might be something people don't understand, and I want to clarify it. They love me. And they want to be with me. Doesn't that sound better than their followers? He's a guru. Because people who don't have love in their life have to find fault. And you know, I follow my sponsor around. I love to hear him talk. Whenever Clancy's talking, I want to be there. I love him. I could tell the story better myself. But I love the guy. And I could sit in the room and people say I follow him around like a little pup. I feel sorry for those people. I feel sorry for them. Because they obviously don't love somebody. And I wish they would. Because if you love somebody like that and you want to be around them all the time, what a greater joy there is than to have them in the room. Because I feel safe with them. And so that's why Mike came up here. And yet, Mike is having a hard time. And uh, he sponsors more people now than he did before he got sick. AA works. Five years ago, how many people did you sponsor? None. He got diagnosed with Lou Gehrig's disease four years ago. How many people do you sponsor now? Nine. And guess what? Guess who his caregivers are now? Mainly the people he sponsors. See, God works in mysterious ways. Mike was unwilling to work with people. And five years ago, he started. He decided to start working with babies. And shortly after he started working with sponsees, he contracted Lou Gehrig's disease. And as he's gotten sicker, more babies have been attracted to him for help. Because they see what an inspiration Mike is. Mike don't quit. Mike ain't got no quit in him. I don't care. I tell him you don't need to do that, and he does it anyway because he knows I don't mean it. <laughs> see, I don't care how sick he is. I want him here. He can't drink no more, and he knows it. He can't pick up a drink and put it in his body. He knows he's not going to drink. So why is he here? He's here to be an example to his babies. How could his babies say, gee, I don't feel good. I don't want to go. Do you understand what I'm saying? There's not a greater inspirational tool in this room right now than mine. I just want to let him know that. I'm going to Vancouver, Canada at the end of the month to go to a convention. He's driving there just so he can be with me. That's what AA does. It brings love into our life. And you know what? If we're not ready for it and we're not waiting it, we might miss it. And that's why when the, the people I sponsor come to hear me talk, I respect them for that because I know they're also taking heat because some people are making fun of them because they think they're followers. And those people just don't understand the meaning of love. And I feel sorry for them. So, step 11 taught me those things. You might wonder how. Now, I'm going to tell you how Bill Wilson did this with Father Ed. And I'm going to tell you that I do this too. I do it every day. I'm not going to lie to you and mislead you and say I don't do it every day. Now, when I started, I didn't. I'll tell you that. When I started doing this 13 years ago, it was tough. It was intermittent. I did it for a while. It made me feel better, so I quit. But if you notice... You know, it's that prescription thing, you know. You ever been given a prescription for 30 days for like an antibiotic and you take it for about a week and the infection clears up, take it for about another week and the symptoms go away, I'm done. Throw the other two weeks away. And then the, the infection comes back. And I think the doctor did something wrong. And when the doctor says, well, did you take all your prescription? I look him right in the eye and say yes. Okay. Lord, make me an instrument of thy peace. Now, I was a weapon of war. No matter, no matter how you look at it, I was a weapon of war. What that means is, is from the time I got up to the time I went to bed, I had an attitude problem. I messed with people. If you were to run into me, I would do everything I could to make your life miserable. I don't like to suffer emotionally. I don't suffer well. And I don't suffer alone. I take people with me. And my sponsor made, my sponsor challenged me. He says, I want you to go one 24-hour period without bringing any unrest into anybody else's life, including your own. It almost killed me. <laughs> Do you know what it's like to go one day trying not to be distempered around other people, trying to kiss everybody's butt is how I saw it, just be pleasant and kind and open doors for girls. I couldn't do it for ten minutes. So, in the morning I would think about it, and in the day I would fail, and at night I would think, boy, that was a bad day. And you know, I did that, it took me six months to get one through one whole day. 
But what I did was I did it like Bill Wilson did it. He knows there's 12 sentences. I take one a day just like a vitamin. One a day. And I laid it out here how I do it. I, I laid it out for me because i got bad memory. So you turn over to page 61. I take one a day. And I suggest you try this if you like. And uh, if it don't work for you, pass it on to somebody else. See there where I got channel of peace? So my job today when I get up is to occupy myself with the idea that I'm going to be a channel of peace just for today. It's got nothing to do with tomorrow or yesterday. That's just today. And I put down some definitions there so it gives me an idea of what I'm looking at. And I go down there and I ask myself some questions. Like, what are my plans today? Is there any element of things? You know, I just ask those questions. And then I read the readings out of the big book and the 12 and 12, just like it's suggested. And then I entertain a new idea. I entertain the idea of peace as a possible solution to my turmoil and unrest. And so then I read about what peace is, and I think about that for a few minutes. And then I go over there, and I read that meditation for myself. And then I do just what it says. I go on about the business of living, cheerfully and enthusiastically, and I put this behind me. And for that day, my job is to try to bring peace into all my affairs. And when I'm done at night, I do see. I ask myself those questions. I got myself a little 11-step notebook. I write in it. I review page 86, and if it's indicated, I complete 86 in the workbook. And if it's indicated, I do a 10th step. Then I read page 80, I read the big book in the 12 and 12, and then I go to page 87, and I marked it extra credit just to be cute. I turn to page 87, and there's a little checklist there, in case you don't have to do a 10th step. I can look at my negative versus positive characteristics of self-will and God's will, and I see how I did for the day. Now, it's kind of unmanly to talk about this kind of stuff, because real men don't do this godly stuff every day, you know. makes you feel like a wussy. Well, the truth of the matter is, I do it every day, and I'm not afraid to tell nobody. Somewhere in the big book it says, a man who has faith in God, don't call before no man. We don't apologize for God. We just have a faith that works. And then I look at the bottom, and I move on to sentence two tomorrow morning, hatred and love. Whereas hatred, I may bring love. I do the same thing I do it every day. And then I go on to the next sentence. And what I do is I do the best I can. And I know I'm not going to be perfect. I know I'm not going to be successful all the time. And I move on and I do the best I can. And when I fall short, I write it out. If i got a tenth step to do and an amend to make, I make it. And then the next day I move on to sentence three and four and five. And so on until I do all twelve. When I'm done with all twelve, I do a little written review that night of how I did on all twelve. And then I start over the next day and do sentence one again. And again, and again, and again. i got to tell you something. After 12 years, it's a working part of my mind. I can grasp all 12 sentences just like that. I can bring that into my day. I was doing it in courtroom that day, Tuesday. I can bring these 12 sentences into my when I want to. When I'm willing. And you know what? Some days I'm not willing. Some days I just want to be mad. Some days I just want to sulk. Some days I just want to stick my thumb in my mouth and suck it and have a good pout. Some days I just want to feel sorry for myself. And you know what? Everybody has a right to suffer. You have no right to interrupt my suffering. And if, I'm, if I sponsor somebody that's in suffering, I help them. <laughs> I do. By God, if you want to suffer, let me assist you. Oh, Eric. Eric. Eric's my prize, people. How long have you been in the mission now? Eight months? Oh, he, he's at the midnight mission. He comes from an affluent family, well-to-do, and He's sleeping in the Skid Row Mission for eight months now. And I told him if he'd get a job, he could move out. <laughs> and now, now, wait, you don't know the whole story. Four months ago, he's ready to fire me as his sponsor because I wouldn't let him out of the mission. I mean, bitching and moaning every day. I want out of the mission. I hate it. Right? You know why he hasn't got a job yet? He don't want to move out. He really likes it there. And I'll tell you why. I'm going to blow his cover. Because he feels useful there. There's a purpose there. He's got a place to live. He's got people to look up to him with respect. He gets a little bit of spending money. He's got three meals a day. And he works with other drunks. That's why I ain't pressuring him to get a job. When he wants out of there, he'll get a job. See, God works in mysterious ways. He uses our defensive character in his service. He's one of the biggest, dumpiest, little, spoiled brats I've ever seen in AA. And because of that, I suggested he move into the Midnight Mission. He didn't need to. I tricked him is what I did. We could have put him up in somebody's house, but I just thought it would be fun to put Eric in the mission. 
and that's on Nicole's neck, right? <laughs> and so what happens is, is, you know, I'll tell you, you can't tell that I've got a great AA family. I do. I, I, I just love the way AA came together for me and, and the way I get to participate in AA. But I think it has to do with steps 10, 11, and 12. I mean, uh, when I met old One-Eye up there and, and Peggy and uh, his family, he's got a real interesting family. Take a look. I mean, that's an interesting family up there. They say we are people who normally would stop this. <laughs> and I love them all. And I've been in Matt's house, and, and uh, AA opens it up. And I'll tell you what, if, if that's what steps 10, 11, and 12 do, I'm not going to quit doing it. It's, it. It doesn't make me feel like I'm not a man. It has allowed me to become secure in my own person. So the, the magic of step 11 is that as I get up in the morning, it only takes me 10 or 15 minutes to do this every day, maximum. And you know what? All through the day it's on my mind. I have to consciously dismiss it to get away with pouting and getting mad at people. And I do it. I do it. I'm going to tell you the truth. I do it. I dismiss this in an effort to be mad at people. But then it gets me and comes back. And I have to do a tenth step and get over it. And if you're sitting there thinking it's going to take a while, you're absolutely right. This is not an overnight matter. We didn't get sick overnight. But I suggest to you that if we do it one day at a time with constant vigilance, it's not. I'm not special. I'm not unique. I'm not even as sick as Matt. I'm just, you know, I'm just as sick as I'm sick. And if I can overcome this stuff a day at a time and overcome the emotional trauma I've experienced and land myself in the community of my peers the way I am, it can happen for anybody in Alcoholics Anonymous. Anybody. The requirement is is that we work. You know, there's a, there's a. You've heard of the gift, haven't you? Get the gift. Get the gift. You know what the gift is? Hope I can find it now. The gift of faith. Ah, I got it marked out. Gift of faith. Bear with me for a minute. Faith, faith, faith. Gift of 107, right? Page 37. Alright, you heard about the gift of faith. Okay. Have you heard of people talking about quit playing God? You know what? There's symptoms of playing God in our book. You know what they are? You want to hear them? Page 37, it gives us the symptoms of playing God. Here it comes. The moment our mental and emotional independence is in question, how differently we behave. How persistently we claim the right to decide all by ourselves just what we shall think and just how we shall act. Oh, yes. I like this. Oh, yes. We'll weigh the pros and cons of every problem. We'll listen quietly to those who would advise us, but all the decisions are to be ours alone. Nobody is going to meddle with our personal independence in such matters. Besides, we think, there is no one we can surely trust. We are certain that our intelligence, backed by willpower, can rightly control our inner lives and guarantee us success in the world we live in. This brave philosophy, wherein each man plays God, sounds good in the speaking, but it still has to meet the acid test. How well does it actually work? That's the symptoms of playing God. Now we'll go to page 107 and get the gift of faith. See, I, I, I was under some misinformation. I don't mean to be offensive. But I thought just because I came into AA, I got the gift. Now, I'm going to tell you something. If you felt like I did, you'd have to question that gift. I don't want no more gifts like that. I was told I got the gift just because I came. The gift of sobriety. Let me read this to you. It's in step 12. You didn't know I was going to slip you into step 12, did you? On page 107. Let's go down to page 106 at the bottom. Maybe there are many definitions of a spiritual awakening as there are people who have had them. Have you ever wondered what the definition of a spiritual awakening is? I mean, we've all heard spiritual awakening, but what's it really mean? Father Ed Dowling defined it here through Bill Wilson. Certainly each genuine has something in common with all others, and these things which they have in common are not too hard to understand. Now, here's how you can tell with another person that has a spiritual awakening. <coughs> when a man or woman has a spiritual awakening, the most important meaning of it is that he has now become able to do, feel, and believe that which he could not do before on his unaided strength and resources alone. What a simple thing. To have a spiritual awakening. To become able to do, feel, and believe that which he could not do before on his unaided strength and resources alone. He has been granted a gift which amounts to a new state of consciousness and being. That's the gift. You wondered about the gift? I didn't know that. That stuck out to me like someone bombed it right out of me. I was always wondering what the gift was. And here it is. A new state of consciousness and being. He has been set on a path which tells him he's really going somewhere. 
that life is not a dead end. These are the promises, by the way, of the twelfth step. He has been set on a path which tells us he tells him he is really going somewhere, that life is not a dead end, not something to be endured or mastered. In a very real sense he has been transformed, because he has laid hold of the source of strength which in one way or another he had hitherto denied himself. Denied himself. That's important. Nobody denied me of it. We're denying ourselves of it. We have conscious and unconscious separation from God. He finds himself in a possession of a degree of honesty, tolerance, unselfishness, peace of mind, and love of which he had thought himself quite incapable. What he has received is a free gift. Now, there's the rest of the free gift. He's in a possession of a degree of honesty, tolerance, unselfishness, peace of mind, and love of which he had thought himself quite incapable. And I have to tell you something. My life is an example of that because I was diagnosed at the age of 18 being told I'd never feel the emotion of love that I was not capable of it. And i got to tell you something, I believed it. And because I believed it, that's an old idea, right? I believed it. I believed I was a psychopath because the doctor told me I was. I believed I had no conscience. So I acted upon that. Never felt bad about anything I did to another human being. And then I read this and found out there was hope. Because anybody that doesn't feel the emotion of love is dead. Dead. And dead dead. There's no life in dead. I'm sitting in these meetings dead. Nobody wants to be around me. Nobody wants to have nothing to do with me. It's not their fault because they can see I'm dead and I can't. I received the gift. Now, did I just get it? This answered the next question. What he's received is a free gift. And yet usually, at least in some small part, he has made himself ready to receive it. So I don't just get the gift because I came into AA. Some people that spread that lie are responsible for a lot of people leaving AA and dying. That's a pretty bold statement, but I believe it to be true. Because if you tell someone that they walked in here that they just get the gift because they come in the door, they might not ever have to do any steps. I have to make myself reset. And then it it tells in the next paragraph how to make ready to receive that gift. It's pretty strong language, but you know what? We're our brother's keeper. And we have to be armed with the facts about our condition so that we can reach out effectively to that newcomer coming in the door so that we know what we're doing. There's no sponsorship training school in AA. What we got to do is just go by our own personal experience and try to delve out as much understanding from our literature as we can so that when that newcomer comes through the door, that we have the best equipment we got to say, come on in here and take a seat and let's be, let, let me be your example. AA's manner of making ready to receive this gift lies in the practice of the 12 steps in our program. Isn't that it's so simple? AA's manner of making ready to receive this gift lies in the practice of the 12 steps in our program. Now, on page 15, paragraph 3 is the 12 and 12. Here's what it says. AA's 12 steps are a group of principles, spiritual in their nature, which, if practiced as a way of life, can expel the obsession to drink and enable the sufferer to become happily and usefully whole. Do you know, I didn't know this, but do you know what the carrot of AA is? That's what, I didn't know that. I thought it was about a new car. I thought it was about, you know, because every time I hear somebody speak from the podium, they, they talk about going to college and becoming heroes. I mean, I quit school, went to college, and everybody loves it because we all love achievement, don't we? And you know, some of us can mistake that, that if we don't go to college, we're losers. I've never been to college, have no desire to go to college, don't want to go to college. But I try to get everybody I sponsor to go to college. I don't want to go to college, I don't care. I don't need it. I'm quite happy doing what I'm doing. Something happened to me. I feel happy. I know I'm useful, and I'm a whole human being. The reason I know I'm a whole human being is I'm not looking for a hat to take care of me. I'm not running around with my umbilical cord in my hand anymore. <laughs> Danny, you're the best. <laughs> Dana, Dana came to me. Went, How long have I been your sponsor now? What do you got in your pocket? I've been Dana's sponsor for a few years. But when I got him, he was spin city. I mean, he'd been smoking something a long time. And uh, I've, I've been watching Dana. Dana's one of the most willing people I've ever seen in AA. Don't let this go to your head, kid. Dana came in, and for three years, he's just been going straight. Just doing the AA thing. With his head down, not asking any questions, just doing the drill. And you know what? That's what it takes. Just come on in here. Jump in the water spine. Because in step 12, we're finding out something magical. In the, in, the, in the 12 and 12, 
Here it says, the joy of living is the theme of AA's 12 step and action is its key word. Here we turn outward toward our fellow alcoholics who are still in distress. Here we experience the kind of giving that asks no rewards. Here we begin to practice all 12 steps of the program in our daily lives so that we and those about us may find emotional sobriety. All 12 steps in our daily lives. So, what's 10, 11, and 12? If we do step 10, don't we do 1 through 9? I admit I'm powerless. I'm unmanageable. I have a problem. I came to believe I'm willing to make a decision to turn my old will over. I've done the inventory. I admit it to somebody else. And in that inventory, I ask God to remove my shortcomings. I ask Him to take my defects of character. I make a list if I harmed Him. I make an amend. Isn't that step 10? So daily, if I do step 10 on a daily basis, I'll be doing 1 through 9 every day. Every day. I'll be reminding myself I have alcoholism. But joy is the theme. Anybody know what joy is? Not a person in the movies. Okay. Next paragraph on page 106 to the 12 and 12. Our 12 step also says that as a result of practicing all the steps, keep using the word all, we have each found something called a spiritual awakening. To new AAs, this often seems like a very dubious and probable state of affairs. What do you mean when you talk about spiritual awakening? Remember, we've already read that. To become able to do, feel, and believe that which we could not do before on our own ministry and resources alone. Okay? Let's go over to page 109. Some people question about how soon you guys start calling God, God. You know, good orderly design and good orderly direction for a while. But once we read step 12, it gives us some insight. On the second paragraph, it says, So... Practicing these steps, we had a spiritual awakening about which finally there was no question. Remember how I said, I always came in here and said, what's wrong? My theme song was, what's wrong with me? What's wrong with me? Why am I different? What's going on? Now I've had a spiritual awakening that leaves no question at all. And I have no question in my mind. I have a clear recognition of what and who I really am. I'm sincerely trying to grow in the likeness of my own creator. I'm trying to become the best child of God I can be. There is no question in my mind about this. I have alcoholism. I got a real good dose of it. And I'm trying to be into the solution of it. Now here's where the fun comes in. Looking at those who are only beginning and still doubted themselves, the rest of us were able to see the change setting in. From great numbers of such experiences, we could predict that the doubter who still claimed that he hadn't got the spiritual angle and who still considered his well-loved AA group the higher power would presently love God and call him by name. And what that means is God. Call God God. Some people would say Buddha. Some people would say call God Jesus because that's God by name. What that means is call God by his name, God. God, God. A lot of people say higher power wherever you choose. But I do, I find myself saying God now. It kind of just becomes, I don't know if it's just following the rhetoric or what, but I talk an awful lot about God now. 21 years ago, you couldn't get me to utter the name. And it just happened. It's a, it's a, a progressive thing. Just like... The disease, the spiritual disease of alcoholism is progressive. Sobriety is progressive too. Now let's go back to that one idea. Remember this? I told you we were going to get back to this. Remember that? Through steps 10, 11, and 12, we have worked our way up here from the pits of hell to our normal depression. Right? Remember, we started out depressed. We just got worse. Now, through steps 1 through 10, we got back up here to where our normal depression was. But I want to be up here because that's the effect produced, remember? Well, what's step 11 and 12 do? 11 and 12 allows us to act and react sanely and normally, doesn't it? So I get to play up here with the big boys. I get to act and react sanely and normally. And when I commit an injury, I go back down here. If I do an inventory, I come back up. So you know what my natural emotional buoyancy is now? Step 10, 11, and 12. I still don't have the natural ability to just bounce back. I still have to take an inventory, admit where I'm wrong, and try for better things. And that brings me back up. It seems to be natural emotional buoyancy. But I can tell you this. If I don't take inventory, I'm going to keep going on down. So it's important to remember, because doctors call this manic depression. I have spiritual depression. I didn't know that. They can medicate manic depression. You can't medicate spiritual depression. If I did, if you could, alcohol would work. And I didn't know that. And I'm not challenging anybody. I'm just telling you that I was misdiagnosed. 
And this was my proof. When I let go of the spiritual course of action, I go back down again. When I start taking action, I come back up again. It's as simple as that. I have a spiritual maladjustment. AA calls it being on the beam. You know, being on the beam in the program, in the action. Okay. Now, remember I told you about all that energy? Page 109, third paragraph. Now, what about the rest of the 12 step? The wonderful energy it releases. And the eager action by which it carries our message to the, to the next suffering alcoholic. And which finally translates the 12 steps into action upon all our affairs is the payoff. The magnificent reality of alcoholism. I'm going to suggest to you that I am in the magnificent reality of AA. I, it's, it's unbelievable. I have more energy than I need, I'll tell you that right now. It comes when I don't want it the most. Uh, I've got a schedule this year that, that belies common sense. I'm, I don't get paid to do this, and most of you know people like us don't get paid for this. We do this out of our love for AA and to be willing to carry the message to the alcoholic. And what happens is, it's like, uh, let's see, last weekend uh, I flew to a convention, uh, talked Saturday night, left at 3.30 in the morning to drive to the Dallas airport two and a half hours so I could catch the flight to be back in L.A. by 8 o'clock so I could drive an hour to the Valley to speak at the 10 o'clock in the morning meeting and have a good attitude. And you know what? I had all the energy I needed to do it. It's not an ego thing. It's a God thing. And, and I'm glad that I'm in that mix. I'm, I'm glad to know that this is here because I am in the magnificent reality. I have energy I didn't know I had. It, it gets released. What that means is when I got here, I was tired. And I didn't have a lot of energy. But as soon as I came in here and we started mixing, the energy came. That's better than a pill. Because when I leave here, I'll be naturally tired. And I'll rest. And then I'll move on to my next activity that I'm going to do to try to carry the message of Alcoholics Anonymous. And the God of my understanding will see to it that I get all the rest I need. Whether it's two hours or ten hours, God will see that I get the rest I need. I believe that. Even the newest of newcomers finds undreamed rewards as he tries to help his brother alcoholic. The one who is even blinder than he. This indeed is the kind of giving that actually demands nothing. He does not expect his brother sufferer to pay him. That takes time. Or even love him. That hurts. Okay, let's go to page 110. Here's the uh, here's one of the rewards of the 12th step, in case you haven't seen it. To watch the eyes of men and women open with wonder as they move from darkness into light. In other words, they don't look like a deer caught in your headlights. <laughs> to see their lives quickly fill with new purpose and meaning. To see whole families reassembled. To see the alcoholic outcast received back into his community in full citizenship. And above all, to watch these people awaken to the presence of a loving God in their lives. These things are the substance of what we receive as we carry AA's message to the next alcoholic. And I'm living proof of that. I, I have spent a lot of my time trying to carry the message to alcoholics. And as I do, my worldly life has enlarged. You know they say that the road gets narrower? I know what they mean by that. It means I can't get away with what I used to get away with. But it becomes broad. They say the broad highway. I mean, let me tell you, let me finish that story I started telling you about getting picked for that TV show. It's the weirdest damn thing. But you know, I was going to go talk at a meeting and I knew there was only going to be 14 people at a psychiatric institution on a Saturday night. And I had, a, I had the opportunity to get on a Learjet and go to Las Vegas and sit ringside with my business partner and watch the Oscar De La Hoya fight. Well, what would you do? Uh, so I did it the right way. I called the secretary up and asked him if I could send a substitute and come in two weeks. There's nothing wrong with that. And so I arranged that. And I made plans to get on that Learjet, go meet Mark. And my thought occurred to me was, you know, if you called Clancy right now, he's out of time. <laughs> if you called Clancy right now, he would probably tell you next time you're in trouble, call Oscar De La Hoya. Because that's what I would have done to the people I sponsored. And so I didn't go. And I went back and I went and gave a talk and I was right. Fourteen people. Ten of them from the psychiatric wing next door. <coughs> I gave my talk and I opened it up as miserable as you could. I said, I'm Wayne, I'm an alcoholic and i got to tell you the truth. I don't want to be here tonight. I said, I just left an opportunity to go sit ringside to watch a fight. I'd rather be there than here. But I'm here because it's my job. I was given it by God and I'm here to do it. I'm going to do the best I can. And then, of course, I got over myself and had a good meeting. And after I got done, this guy comes up to me and asked me if I was an actor. And I said, no. 
he says, you ever acted? Nope. And then he said, do you want to? And that's, now the rest is history. He confided in me a while back why he gave me the part when I've never acted in my life. Lots of people could have got that job that have a side card in their pocket. And he told me the reason he gave it to me was because of how I opened my talk. He believed I was a good member of AA and that I would suit up and show up when I said I would and he could trust me. That's why I got the part. So, I'm here in Fresno today. <laughs> I mean, as silly as that sounds, I, wasn't, I would have missed it. And you know, I wouldn't even have known it. I wouldn't have known it. It wouldn't have hurt me at all. I would have went to the fight and came back. And I wouldn't have known what I missed. I would have missed an opportunity of a lifetime. I don't know where it's going to go, but I'm sure you're having a lot of fun with it right now. When you talk about being restored into your community, I became a police officer. How God made the day allow me to carry a gun. I became a respected member of my community. I remember when Mike's dad, can I tell that story? I remember Mike's dad had me followed and just didn't like me. He thought I was a cult leader and I was getting his son. And uh, it's funny how sometimes tragedy has to make the blind see. And uh, what was it, three months ago or six months ago, we were having a meeting where Mike, Mike won't let us sit around and wait for him to die. He was going to tell us who was going to do what, when, and where. So we had a team meeting. And uh, Bill, his dad, came up to me afterwards, and, and he put his arms around, hugged me, and gave me a kiss on the cheek and thanked me for giving his son back. And he didn't need to do that. And all the other stuff was put away. And now Bill and I are friends, aren't we? And before, he didn't even know me, but... I've been brought back into the community of living. And I didn't, it didn't just happen. I had to suit up and show up, but it's like carrying the message to the still state. And that doesn't mean you've got to get it on an airplane and go to Columbus, Ohio to carry the message of Alcoholics Anonymous. We're doing it right now. I know some people picked up extra outline booklets. Carrying the message of AA means just sitting down with somebody you sponsor and taking them through the steps. That's carrying the message. Or if you're like me, if you're looking across the room and you see someone that their eyes look like they're caught in the headlights... Give them a job to do. Don't tell them they have choices. Just give them a job to do. Just, just say, do you have a sponsor? And if they say no, just say, well, I'm glad you asked. <laughs> and I promise they'll be too confused to know any better and they'll take your number. There's, it's called spiritual trickery. But the 12th step is carried out in many different ways. Setting up chairs at the meeting. Anything to make the message available to the person who hasn't yet heard the message. Because you see, we're out there dying. One, ten thousand, ten thousand. It's not our job to reach them all. But you know what? Each one of us can carry the message to a still sick and suffering alcoholic. And let's not forget that that could include inside these rooms. How many times I've looked around the room and saw someone with ten years suffering. And yet they don't know how to say help me. So what you do is you go over there and you just say, is everything okay? And of course they'll say, yeah, get away from me, newcomer. But they'll go home and call their sponsor. And that's how this thing works. Okay. Oh, here's a, what I think is an important thing to, to read. Down on page 110, nor is this the only kind of 12-step work. We sit in AA meetings and listen not only to receive something ourselves, but to give the reassurance and support which our presence can bring. If our turn comes to speak in a meeting, we again do try to carry AA's message. I thought that meant Wayne's message. It's carry AA's message. Talk about AA. Talk about what I used to be like what happened to me in AA, and what I'm like today in AA. Carry AA's message. I don't have to bring in any extra outside issues or stuff. I just come in here to try to carry AA's message so if the newcomer doesn't get confused with my opinions, or my beliefs, or my ideologies, or my religious virtues. I just want to come in here and carry the message by saying what I used to be like when I drank. What happened to me after I came to you. And what I'm like today. And if I do that, I might touch a newcomer with hope. We'll leave all that other stuff to the professionals. Over on page one, we're getting to the part I like the most. Love and romance on AA campus. Page 112. Here's one of the, here's some of the signs of emotional sobriety. You can all read this, but I think it's pointed to, to bring out in the workshop. Uh, this is some of the uh, rewards of uh, emotional stability and some of the evidence. Further, second paragraph. How shall we come to terms with seeming failure or success? Can we now accept and adjust to either without despair or pride? Can we accept poverty, sickness, loneliness, and bereavement with courage and serenity? Can we steadfastly content ourselves with the humbler, sometimes more durable satisfactions 
when the brighter, more glittering achievements are denied us. I'll tell you, I've had some great losses in AA. And I've had some great achievements in AA in my own world. And i got to try to meet them both with the same stability. I can't get too filled with myself about what I'm doing. And I just, I need, I need my home group and I need sponsorship. It's critically important to me because I promise you in my home group, they will keep me down to my right side. They do not care what I do. They don't, outside that group, they don't care if I become Don Juan on TV. They don't care. I'm still Wayne the drunk and they're going to help me stay down at my right side. Uh, three months ago I was in New York and for where I was, where, where I came from, this was a big deal to me. I'm in New York going to CBS the next day. I'm staying at the New York Palace Hotel. I'm on the 49th floor in a $3,000 a night suite. I'm looking out over this giant window, and I'm looking down at St. Michael's Cathedral. My friend Mark is with me. We're there together. And I'm just caught up in the awe of it. I can't believe it. I'm standing there looking out over downtown New York, and I'm visualizing those spires sticking up from the cathedral. And I called my sponsor the next day. I just couldn't, I couldn't believe it. How can a guy like me go from where I was to where I was standing that day with all the apparent success approaching. And I told Clancy how much in awe I was. I said, Clancy, on the 49th floor. I said, Clancy, on the way up to the hotel room, I mentioned to Mark that I was thirsty. And I said, five minutes later, there was a cart with 15 different kinds of water on it. I said, wow. And then I looked out the window and I saw that big cathedral down there with all them steel spires sticking straight up in the air. I just can't believe it. And Clancy paused for a minute. And I heard him say, well, kid, that's great. But you probably should have jumped when you had the chance. <laughs> okay. Page 114. This is, this is what I call the Mike Pinch Factor. Our basic troubles are the same as anybody else's, but when an honest effort is made to practice these principles in all our affairs, well-grounded AA seem to have the ability by God's grace. And I said, well-grounded AAs seem to have the ability by God's grace to take these troubles in stride and turn them into demonstrations of faith. We have seen AAs suffer lingering and fatal illness with little complaint and often in good cheer. We have sometimes seen families broken apart by misunderstanding tensions or actual infidelity who are reunited by the AA way of life. i got to tell you, I wasn't too sure about that until me and Mike started going through this four years ago. I absolutely believe in this literature. Over on page 115, we're going to talk about faulty emotional dependency. After we come into AA, if we go on growing, you know, if is a condition... If we go on going, our attitudes and actions towards security, emotional and financial, commence to change profoundly. Our demand, and I said demand, for emotional security, for our own way, had constantly thrown us into unworkable relations with other people. So we were always quite unconscious of this. Remember, we're talking about unconscious and conscious separation. We don't know what's going on. That's why we need a sponsor. That's why we need a home group. Though we were sometimes quite unconscious of this, the result has always been the same. Either we had tried to play God and dominate those about us, or we had insisted on being over-dependent upon them. Whether pe- people had temporarily let us run their lives as though they were still children, we had felt very happy and secure ourselves. But when they finally resisted or ran away, we were very hurt and disappointed. Boy, that just makes me think of my two marriages. Later down that paragraph, that last paragraph, it says, our disillusionment had been hard to bear. We couldn't imagine people acting that way toward us. We had failed to see that though adult in years, we were behaving childishly, trying to turn everybody, friends, wives, husbands, even the world itself, into protective parents. We had refused to learn the very hard lesson that over-dependence upon people is successful because all people are fallible, and even the best of them will sometimes let us down, especially when our demands for attention become unreasonable. How many people in the room have thought their sponsor just wasn't available? Our sponsor just wasn't there enough for us. AA's letting us down. How arrogant can I be? You know what? If my sponsor gave me the amount of attention I want, he'd have to get a divorce from Charlotte. He couldn't have any... How dare I suggest anybody give up any time for me at all? My sponsor is only supposed to make time available when he can make it available. Unless I'm in the process of potentially drinking. 
Who am I to constantly think he has to give up his free life just to come talk to me just because he's in AA? But that's how I am because I'm childish. And I think you've got to drop everything and tend to me. Well, one of the symptoms of that is to begin to become more responsible and more considerate. I don't call Clancy after 10 p.m. No matter what. Because I know I can get through the night. Now, if I think I might drink, I'll call him. There's one night I drove out and slept in his driveway. He didn't even know it. I just slept in his driveway. And when I felt better at 4 in the morning, I drove home. That was how I handled it. That works for me. But you know what? Now I can respect his need for his own time. I don't dominate him anymore. I don't try to take advantage of what he offers me. It means I'm growing up a little bit. Let's go over to page 119. What about compatibility and incompatibility? You know what? How many times have you been in relationships when you had to find fault to break up with someone you know you didn't belong with? Like you're not happy anymore, but you can't break up. You just hang in there and you 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 hang in there and then she does something and you break up. Oh, Marcus. Marcus broke up with his girlfriend on Valentine's Day. You did too? Hey, I made Marcus red. You know what? That don't, that ain't nothing. I just, that's just, you know, that's just another day. We just add some emotional toxicity to it. You got anything else to say, Marcus? Okay. Okay. We just can't say we're incompatible. You know, I've found out how to use that word. I'm not compatible with certain people. Uh, my lifestyle doesn't allow me to be with certain people because I'm just not compatible to them. I don't have the type of time and uh, things to give that some people require. So I can either beat my, help, my setup against the wall and try to make it happen, or I can just say, you know what, we're not compatible. And then we get to be friends. That ain't how we alcoholics do it. We don't have relationships. We take hostages. Okay. Page 119, first paragraph. Compatibility, of course can be so impossibly damaged that a separation may be necessary. Of course, you're talking about marriage. But those cases are the unusual ones. The alcoholic, realizing what his wife has endured, you might do that by reading the chapter in the big book to the wives and the family afterwards, and now fully understanding how much he himself did to damage her and his children, nearly always takes up his marriage responsibilities with a willingness to repair what he can and to accept what he can. He persistently tries all of AA's 12 steps in his home, often with fine results. At this point, he firmly but lovingly commences to behave like a partner instead of like a bad boy. And, you know, I'll tell you, people don't mind it being gender neutral at that point, I'll tell you. And above all, he is finally convinced that reckless romancing, I wonder what they mean by that, is not a way of life for him. Now, how many single people are there in here? Okay. AA has many single alcoholics who wish to marry. Any alcoholics in here that want to marry? Hey, figures I sponsored most of them. Jesus. AA has many single alcoholics who wish to marry and are in a position to do so. Some marry fellow AAs. How do they come out? On the whole, these marriages are very good ones. But I'm going to take based on this. Without someone, am I happy? Do I feel useful? Do I feel like a whole human being in and of myself? Because if I do, the chances are I can have a good relationship. But if I don't feel like a whole human being in and of myself with a higher power, I'm doomed to find me another half. And two halves don't make a whole. Okay. On the whole, these marriages are very good ones. Their common suffering is breakers. Their common interest in AA and spiritual things often enhance such unions. It is only where boy meets girl on AA campus and love follows at first sight. That difficulty is made developed. Now, if you got newcomers you, you're working with and they want to date, just tell them they can as soon as they complete this. The prospective partners need to be solid AA. Long enough acquainted to know that their compatibility at spiritual, mental, and emotional levels is a fact and not wishful thinking. <laughs> they need to be as sure as possible that no deep, lying, emotional handicap in either will be likely to rise up under later pressures to cripple them. I'll never get the date. The considerations are equally too important to the age of outside AA. With clear understanding and a right grown-up attitude, very happy results do follow. I make fun of that. 
I think I don't think nobody can live up to that perfectly, but it does tell us that there's danger in getting emotionally involved right away. I ask the people I sponsor to try to go a year and give themselves day A and not have any distractions. I'm not against dating, I'm not against sex, none of those things. But I just know how sick I was. And I know how sick every new guy, I don't care how good they look coming in that door. If they're coming in that door, they've got serious emotional trouble. And the best thing that I think that they can do is to give themselves the AA for a year and not have any distractions of any kind. And that sometimes not even work. Dana isn't isn't working a job right now. He's living at home, and I don't think he needs to. I think he needs to deep himself into AA and stay here. And when the time comes that he needs to get a job, Dana will get a job, and he'll be a good, productive member of society. But, you know, some of us have to go to work right away. But one of the things we have to do is make sure that we give AA our total attention the first year. I think it's critical because we're building a foundation here, my friends. I mean, when I was new, my sponsor said, give AA a year of your life. He said, because on that foundation you're going to build. He said, the hole's already dug. You live in it. It's called a ditch. <laughs> he said, what you've done is given it rut to rut carpeting. He said, what you do with that foundation is God's going to place a house on that foundation. And then that house is going to be many rooms. It's going to be a mansion. And how well you build that foundation determines how well that house will stand against the storm of emotions. And he said, someday an emotional storm is going to come. And if that foundation isn't deep enough and strong enough to withstand that storm, it will blow your house over and you will drink. So build that foundation. Thank God I did. Because I was the face emotional turmoil I never thought I could stand. And my house hasn't withered at all. My house has weathered that storm because I dedicated myself to AA that first year. And does that mean if you got five years and you don't have a solid foundation that you have to get drunk? Nope. It just means you start over and rebuild the foundation and dedicate yourself to the AA way of life. Many of us don't dedicate ourselves to the AA way of life. We just attend meetings. We just come in two or three times a week and, and suggest to people how to sponsor people so they don't bother us. And uh, we just kind of become spectator participants in AA thinking it won't get us. And then four or five years down the road, as we eased out of AA and we get drunk, we come back. First thing out of our mouth is, I drank because I quit going to meetings. And you know that's, that's not true. I drank because I didn't recover from alcoholism. That's why I drank. Alcoholism is the most fiendish spiritual disease in the world. And I know I've got a good dose of it. And so I come here and do what I do so that I have a daily reprieve because it's contingent upon the maintenance and growth of my spiritual condition. And that's all steps 10, 11, and 12. If I don't do that, I know I'm suspect to a drink. And I don't want to drink anymore, ever again. Okay. Let's go over. We're getting near the end here. Let's go to page 124. Top of the page. Today, in well-matured AAs, our distorted drives have been restored to something like their true purpose and direction. Remember, in the first three steps, that our instincts were all threatened, and we were acting and reacting badly to make up for those threatened instincts that we caused harm in step four on. Well, by now, those emotional deformities have been recovered, and we're no longer acting and reacting to where we cause harm all the time to people around us, because now we have a sense of emotional sobriety. We no longer, and here's what it tells us what we no longer do. We no longer strive to dominate or rule those about us in order to gain self-importance. We no longer seek fame and honor in order to be praised. When by devoted service to family, friends, business, or community, we, we attract widespread affection and are sometimes singled out for posts of greater responsibility and trust. We try to be humbly grateful and exert ourselves more in the spirit of love and service. True leadership, we find, depends upon able example and not upon vain displays of power or glory. Still more wonderful is the feeling that we do not have to be specially distinguished among our fellows in order to be useful and profoundly happy. Not many of us can be leaders of prominence, nor do we wish to be. And here's, I just love this part. Service <coughs> gladly rendered, obligations squarely met, troubles well accepted or solved with God's help, the knowledge that at home or in the world outside we are partners in a common effort. The well-understood fact that in God's sight all human beings are important. The proof that love freely given surely brings a full return. The certainty that we are no longer isolated and alone in self-constructed prisons. The surety that we, can, we need no longer be square pegs and round holes, but can fit and belong in God's scheme of things. These are the permanent and legitimate satisfactions of right living for which no amount of pomp and circumstance, no heap of material possessions, could probably be substitutes. True ambition is not what we thought it was. True ambition 
is the deep desire to live usefully and walk humbly under the grace of God. And what's interesting about that is if my ambition is to live usefully and walk humbly under the grace of God, everything I do will be God's will. Do you understand that? You know, I'm so busy wondering if God wants me to be with that woman or have that job. I've come to find out that if I'm right with God in the universe, it doesn't matter who I'm with, it's under God's will. If we're both trying to live a useful, purposeful life. If I'm working a job, whether it's Kinko's or McDonald's or the sewer department where I got started in sobriety, it's a good job and it's God's will if I'm there. If I'm trying to practice these principles in all my affairs, it's all under God's will. And does that mean I can't get promoted? Absolutely. Because I believe God wants what's best for me. And if I go to, if I was one who wanted to go to college and achieve, is that God's will? Specifically? I don't think so. I don't think God said, Wayne Butler, go to UCLA, get a degree in NBA. No, I think that'll make me a more useful person though. And maybe that's what's needed for me to carry the message. I don't know. But for me, I'm going a different direction. And God's using me over here. It's a wonderful thing to know that, that no matter what arena I'm in, whatever I'm doing, if it's in, within the 12 principles of the 12 steps, I'm probably practicing God's will. That's a good thing to know. And when I get in trouble, the first thing I do is pick up a phone and talk to a newcomer. I call someone I work with. I call my sponsor. I get in contact with AA. And that's the power of the 12 steps. These little studies of AA 12 steps now come to a close. We have been considering so many problems that it may appear that AA consists mainly of racking dilemmas and troubleshooting. To a certain extent, that is true. We have been talking about problems because we are problem people who have found a way up and out and who wish to share our knowledge of that way with all who can use it. For it is only by accepting and solving our problems that we can begin to get right with ourselves and with the world about us and with Him who presides over us all. Understanding is the key to right principles and attitudes and right action is the key to good living. Therefore, the joy of good living is the theme of AA's 12 steps. With each passing day our lives, every one of us sense more deeply the inner meaning of AA's simple prayer. Why don't we join hands and say the Trinity Prayer? Get out.